0: Chapter Ten of The Secret Power. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lena Emsley. The Secret Power by Marie Corelli. Chapter Ten. Roger Seaton was a man of many philosophies. He had one for every day in the week. Yet none wherewith to thoroughly satisfy himself. While still a mere lad, he had taken to the study of science as a duck takes to water. No new discovery, or even suggestion of a new discovery, missed his instant and close attention. His avidity for learning was insatiable. His intense and insistent curiosity on all matters of chemistry gave a knife like edge to the quality of his brain, making it sharp brilliant, and incisive. To him, the ordinary social and political interests of the world were simply absurd. The idea that the greater majority of men should be created for no higher purpose than those of an insect, just to live, eat, breed, and die, was to him preposterous. "'Think of it!' he would exclaim. "'All this wondrous organization of our planet, for that?' for a biped so stupid as to see nothing in his surroundings but conveniences for satisfying his stomach and his passions we men are educated chiefly in order to learn how to make money and all we can do with the money when made is to build houses to live in eat as much as we want and more and breed children to whom we leave all the stuff we have earned and who either waste it or add to it whichever suits their selfishness best such lives are absolutely useless. They repeat the same old round, leading nowhere. Occasionally, in the course of centuries, a real brain is born, and at once all who are merely bodies leap up against it, like famished wolves, striving to tear it to pieces and devour it. If it survives the attack, its worth is only recognised long after its owner has perished. The whole scheme is manifestly unintelligent and ludicrous, but it is not intended to be so. Of that I am sure. There must be something else. When urged to explain what he conceived as this something else, he would answer, There has always been something else in our environment, something that stupid humanity has taken centuries to discover. Sound waves, for example, light rays, electricity. These have been freely at our service from the beginning. Electricity might have been used ages ago had not dull witted man refused to find anything better for lighting purposes than an oil lamp or a tallow candle. If in past periods he had been told, There is something else, he would have laughed his informant to scorn. So with our blundering methods of living, there is something else, not after death, but now and here. We are going about in the darkness with a candle, when a great force of wider light is all around us, only awaiting connection and application to our uses. Those who heard him speak this way, and they were few, for Seton seldom discussed his theories with others, convinced themselves that he was either a fool or a madman. The usual verdict given for any human being who dares break away from convention and adopt an original line of thought and action. But they came to the conclusion that as he was direfully poor, and nevertheless refused various opportunities of making money, his folly or his madness would be brought home to him sooner or later by strong necessity, and that he would then either arrive at a sane, every day realization of things as they are, or else be put away in an asylum and quietly forgotten this being the sagacious opinion of those who knew him best there was a considerable flutter in such limited american circles as call themselves upper when the wealthiest young woman in the states morgana royal suddenly elected to know him and to bring him into prominent notice at her parties the most wonderful genius of the time a man whose scientific discoveries might change the very face of the globe and other fantastically exaggerated descriptions of her own which he himself strongly repudiated and resented gossip ran amok concerning the two and it was generally agreed that if the madman of science were to become the husband of a woman multimillionaire, he would not have to be considered so mad after all but the expected romance did not materialize there came apparently a gradual cooling off in the sentiments of both parties concerned and though Roger seaton was still occasionally seen with morgana in her automobile in her opera-box or at her receptions his appearances were fewer and other men in fact many other men were more openly encouraged and flattered morgana herself showing as much indifference towards him as she had at first shown interest when, therefore, he suddenly left the social scene of action, his acquaintances surmised that he had got an abrupt dismissal, or, as they more brusquely expressed it, the game's up. He's lost his chance, they said, shaking their heads forlornly, and he's poorer than Job. He'll be selling newspapers in the cars for a living by and by. However, he was never met engaged in this lucrative way of business. He simply turned his back on everybody, Morgana Royal included, and so far as society was concerned, just disappeared. In the hut of the dying on that lonely hill slope in California, he was happy, feeling a relief from infinite boredom, and thankful to be alone. He had much to think about and much to do. Inhabited places and the movement of people were to him tedious and fatiguing and he decided that nature wild in a solitary and savage aspect would suit his speculative and creative tendencies best yet like all human beings he had his odd almost childlike moods inexplicable even to himself moods illogical almost pettish and wholly incongruous with his own accepted principles of reasoning for instance he maintained that women had neither attraction nor interest for him yet he found himself singularly displeased when after two or three days of utter solitude when he was rather eagerly expecting manella to arrive with the new milk which was his staple food a lanky red-haired ugly boy appeared instead of her a boy who slouched along swinging the milk-pail in one hand and clutching a half-munched slice of pineapple in the other Hello," called this individual. "'Not dead yet?' For answer, Seaton strode forward, and taking the milk pail from him, gripped him by the dirty cotton shirt and gave him a brief but severe shaking. "'No, not dead yet,' he said. "'You insolent young monkey, who are you?' The boy wriggled in his captor's clutch and tried to squirm himself out of it i'm jake the calls me irish jake he gasped oh blessed mary my breath i clean the knives at the plaza i'll clean knives for you presently remarked seaton with a threatening gesture yes irish jake i will who sent you here she did oh mary mother the youth gave a further wriggle miss Sariso, the girl they call manella she told me to say she's too busy to come herself Seton let go the handful of shirt he had held. "'Too busy to come herself,' he repeated slowly, then smiled. "'Well, that's all right.' Here he lifted the pail of milk, took it into his hut, and brought it back empty, while Irish Jake, as the boy called himself, stood stirring. "'Tell Miss Ceriso that I quite understand, and that I'm delighted to hear she's so busy.' now let us see here he pulled some money out of his pocket and fingered a few dirty paper notes there irish jake you'll find that's correct and when you come here again don't forget your manners see then you may be able to keep that disgraceful shirt of yours on otherwise it's likely to be torn off if you are irish you should remember that in very ancient days there used to be manners in the emerald isle yes positively fine gracious lovely manners it doesn't look as if that will be ever any more but we live in hope anyway you you young offspring of an irish hybrid gorilla you'd best remember what i say or there'll be trouble and here he made a mock solemn bow my compliments to miss ceriso the red-haired youth remained for a moment stock-still with mouth and eyes open then, snatching up the empty pail, he scampered down the hill-slope in a lightning-quick run. Seaton looked after him with an air of contemptuous amusement. Ugly little devil, he soliloquized. And yet nature made him, as she makes many hideous things, in a hurry, I presume, without any time for details or artistic finish. Well! Here he stretched his arms out with a long sigh and the silly girl is too busy to come. As if I could not see through that little game, she'd give her eyes to come. Fine eyes they are, too. She just thinks she'll pay me out for being rough with her the other day. She's got an idea that she'll vex me and make me want to see her. She's right. I am vexed, and I do want to see her. It was mid-morning and the sun blazed down upon the hillside with the scorching breath of a volcano he turned into his hut it was a dark cool little dwelling comfortable enough for a single inhabitant there was a camp-bed in one corner and there were a couple of wicker chairs made for easy transposition into full-length couches if so required a good-sized deal table occupied the centre of the living-room and on the table was a clear crystal bowl Full of what appeared at first glance to be plain water, but which on closer observation showed a totally different quality. Unlike water, it was never still. Some interior bubbling perpetually moved it to sway and sparkle, throwing out tiny flashes as though the smallest diamond cuttings were striving to escape from it, while it exhaled around itself an atmosphere of extreme coldness and freshness like that of ice seaton threw himself indolently into one of the wicker chairs by the window a window which was broad and wide commanding a full view of distant mountains and far away to the left a glimpse of sea i am vexed and i want to see her he repeated speaking aloud to himself now why why am i vexed and why do i want to see her Reason gives no answer. If she were here, she would bore me to death. I could do nothing. She would ask me questions, and if I answered them, she would not understand. She's too stupid. She has no comprehension of anything beyond simple primitive animalism. Now, if it were Morgana. He stopped in his talk and started as if he had been stung. Some subtle influence stole over him like the perfumed mist of incense he leaned back in his chair and half-closed his eyes. What was the stealthy, creeping, magnetic power that like an invisible hand touched his brain and pulled at his memory, and forced him to see before him a small, elf-like figure, clad in white, with a rope of gold hair, twisting, snake-like, down over its shoulders and glistening in the light of the moon? For the moment he lost his usual iron mastery of will, and let himself go on the white flood of a dream. He recalled his first meeting with Morgana, one of accident, not design, in the great laboratory of a distinguished scientist. He had taken her for a little girl student, trying to master a few principles of chemistry, and was astonished and incredulous when the distinguished scientist himself had introduced her as one of our most brilliant theorists on the future development of radioactivity such a description seemed altogether absurd applied to a little fair creature with beseeching blue eyes and gold hair they had left the laboratory together walking some way in company and charmed with each other's conversation then when closer acquaintance followed and he had learned her true position in social circles and the power she wielded owing to her vast wealth he at once withdrew from her as much as was civilly possible Disliking the suggestion of any sordid motive for his friendship. But she had so sweetly reproached him for this, and had enticed him on. Yes, he swore it within himself, she had enticed him on in a thousand ways, most especially by the amazing grip she had of scientific problems in which he was interested and which puzzled him, but which she seemed to unravel as easily as she might unravel a skein of wool. Her clear brightness of brain, and logical precision of argument first surprised him into unqualified admiration calling to his mind the assertion of a renowned physiologist that from the beginning woman had lived in another world than man formed of finer vibrations and consequently finer chemical atoms she is in touch with more subtle planes of existence and of sensation and ideation she holds unchallenged the code of life. Then admiration yielded to the usual sense of masculine resentment against feminine intellectuality, and a kind of smouldering wrath and opposition took the place of his former chivalry and the almost tender pleasure he had previously felt in her exceptional genius and ability. And there came an evening. Why did he think of it now, he wondered? When, after a brilliant summer ball given at the beautiful residence of a noted society woman on Long Island, he had taken Morgana out into their hostess's garden, which sloped to the sea, and they had strolled together almost unknowingly down to the shore, where, under the light of the moon, the Atlantic waves, sunken to little dainty frills of lace like foam, broke murmuringly at their feet, and he, turning suddenly to his companion, was all at once smitten by a sense of witchery in her looks as she stood, garmented in her white, vaporous ball-gown, with diamonds in her hair and on her bosom, smitten with an overpowering, lightning stroke of passion, which burnt his soul as a desert is burnt by the hot breath of the simoon, and yielding to its force, he had caught the small, fine, fairy creature in his arms, and kissed her wildly on lips and eyes and hair and she, she had not resisted. Then, as swiftly as he had clasped her, he let her go, and stood before her in a strange spirit of defiance. Forgive me, he said, in low and even tones. I, I did not mean it. She lifted her eyes to his, half proudly, half appealingly. You did not mean it? She asked quietly. An amazed scorn flashed into her face, clouding its former sweetness. Then she smiled coldly, turned away, and left him in a kind of stupor. He watched her go, her light figure disappearing by degrees as she went up the ascending path from the sea to the house where gay music was still sounding for dancers not yet grown weary. And from that evening a kind of silence fell between them. They were separated as by an ice floe. They met often in the social round, but scarcely spoke more than the ordinary words of conventional civility, and Morgana apparently gave herself up to frivolity, coquetting with her numerous admirers and would-be husbands, in a casual, not to say heartless manner, which provoked Seaton past endurance so much so that he worked himself up into a kind of cynical detestation and contempt for her, both as a student of science and a woman of wealth. And yet, and yet, he had almost loved her, and a thing that goaded him to the quick was that so far as scientific knowledge and attainment were concerned, she was more than his equal irritated by his own quarrelsome set of sentiments which pulled him first this way and then that he decided that the only thing possible for him was to put a great divide of distance between himself and her this he had done and to what purpose apparently merely to excite her ridicule and to prick her human up to the mischievous prank of finding out where he had fled and following him and she even she who had kept him aloof ever since that fatal moment on the sea-shore had discovered him on this lonely hillside and taunted him with her light mockery and actually said that to kiss him would be like kissing a bunch of nettles she said that she who for one wild moment he had held in his arms a- bah he sprang up from his chair in a kind of rage with himself as his thoughts crowded thick and fast one on the other why did he think of her at all it was as if some external commanding force compelled him to do so then she had seen manella and had naturally drawn her own conclusions based on the girl's rich beauty which was so temptingly set within his reach he began to talk to himself aloud once more picking up the thread of his broken converse where he had left it "'If it were Morgana, it would be far worse than if it were Manella,' he said. "'The one is too stupid, the other too clever. "'But the stupid woman would make the best wife, if I wanted one, which I do not, "'and the best mother, if I desired children, which I do not. "'The question is, what do I want? "'I think I know. "'But supposing I get it, shall I be satisfied? "'Will it fulfil my life's desire?' "'What is my life's desire?' He stood inert, his tall figure erect, his eyes full of strange and meditative earnestness, and for a moment he seemed to gather his mental forces together with an effort. Turning towards the table, where the bowl of constantly sparking fluid danced in tiny flashing eddies within its crystal prison, he watched its movement. "'There's the clue,' he said. "'So little!' yet so much life that cannot cease force that cannot die for me for me alone this secret to do with it what i will to destroy or to recreate how shall i use it if i could sweep the planet clean of its greedy contentious human microbes and found a new race i might be a powerful good but should i care to do this if god does not care why should i he lost himself anew in musing. Then, rousing his mind to work, he put paper, pens and ink on the table and started writing busily, only interrupting himself once for a light meal of dry bread and milk during a stretch of six or seven hours. At the end of his self-appointed time, he went out of the hut to see, as he often expressed it, what the sky was doing. It was not doing much being a mere hot glare in which the sun was beginning to roll westwards slowly like a sinking fireball. He brought out one of the wicker chairs from the hut and set it in the only patch of shade by the door, stretching himself full length upon it and closing his eyes, composed himself to sleep. His face in repose was a remarkably handsome one, a little hard in outline, but strong, nobly featured and expressive of power an ambitious sculptor would have rejoiced in him as a model for achilles he was as unlike the modern hideous type of man as he could well be and most particularly unlike any specimen of american that could be found on the whole huge continent in truth he was purely and essentially english of england one of the fine old breed of men nurtured among the winds and waves of the north for whom no labour was too hard no service too exacting, no death too difficult, provided the word was the bond. His natural gifts of intellect were very great, and profound study had ripened and rounded them to fruition. Certain discoveries in chemistry which he had tested were brought to the attention of his own country's scientists, who in their usual way of accepting new light on old subjects smiled placidly, shook their heads, poo-pooed, and finally, set aside the matter for future discussion, but Roger Seaton was not of a nature to sink under a rebuff. If the wise men of Gotham in England refused to take first advantage of the knowledge he had to offer, then the wise men of Gotham in Germany or the United States should have their chance. He tried the United States and was received with open arms and open minds, so he resolved to stay there for a few years at any rate and managed to secure a position with the tireless magician Edison, in whose workshops he toiled patiently as an underling, obtaining deeper grasp of his own instinctive knowledge and further insight into an immense nature secret which he had determined to master alone. He had not mastered it yet, but he felt fairly confident that he was near the goal. As he slept peacefully with the still shade of a heavily foliaged vine, which ramped over the roof of the hut, sheltering his face from the sun. His whole form, in its relaxed, easy attitude, expressed force in repose, physical energy held in leash. The sun sank lower, its hue changing from poppy red to burning orange, and presently a woman's figure appeared on the hill-slope and cautiously approached the sleeper. A beautiful figure of classic Molden line clothed in a simple white linen garb with a red rose at its breast it was manella she had taken extraordinary pains with her attire plain though it was something dainty and artistic in the manner of its wearing made its simplicity picturesque and the red rose at her bosom was effectively supplemented by another in her hair showing brilliantly against its rich blackness she stopped when about three paces away from the sleeping man and watched him with a wonderful tenderness. Her lips quivered sweetly, her lovely eyes shone with a soft wistfulness. She looked indeed, as Morgana had said of her, quite beautiful. Instinctively aware in slumber that he was not alone, Seaton stirred, opened his eyes, and sprang up. What? Manella? he exclaimed. "'I thought you were too busy to come.' She hung her head a little shamefacedly. "'I had to come,' she answered. "'There was no one else ready to bring this for you.' She held out a telegram. He opened it and read it. It was very brief. "'Shall be with you tomorrow, Gwent.' He folded it and put it in his pocket. Then he turned to Manella, smiling. "'Very good of you to bring this,' he said. Why didn't you send Irish Jake?' "'He is taking luggage down from the rooms,' she answered. "'Many people are going away today. "'Is that why you are so busy?' he asked, the smile still dancing in his eyes. She gave a little toss of her head, but said nothing. "'And how fine we are today, he said, glancing over her with an air of undisguised admiration. "'White suits you, Manella. You should always wear it.' for what fortunate man have you dressed yourself so prettily she shrugged her shoulders expressively for you for me oh manella what a frank confession and what a contradiction you are to yourself for did you not send word by that irish monkey that you were too busy to come and yet you dress yourself in white with red roses for me and you come after all capricious child Oh, Signora Soriso, how greatly honoured I am! She looked straight at him. You laugh, you laugh, she said, but I do not care. You can laugh at me all the time if you like. But you cannot help looking at me. Ah, yes, you cannot help that. A triumphant glory flashed in her eyes, red lips parted in a ravishing smile. You cannot help it, she repeated. That little white lady, that friend of yours, who you hate and love at the same time, she told me I was quite beautiful. I know I am, and you know it too. He bent his eyes upon her gravely. I have always known it, yes, he said, then paused. Dear child, beauty is nothing. She made a swift step towards him and laid a hand on his arm. Her ardent, glowing face was next to him you do not speak truly,' and her voice was tremulous, "'to a man it is everything.' Her physical fascination was magnetic, and for a moment he had some trouble to resist its spell. Very gently he put an arm round her, and with a tender delicacy of touch unfastened the rose she wore at her bosom. "'There, dear,' he said, "'I will keep this with me for company. "'It's like you.' except that it doesn't talk and doesn't ask for love. It has it, without asking, she murmured. He smiled. Has it? Well, perhaps it has. He paused, then stooping his tall head, kissed her once on the lips as a brother might have kissed her. And perhaps, one day, when the right man comes along, you will have it too. End of chapter 10